I'm going to be there. Are you going to be there? Amen. Amen. A lot of life's plans just don't happen the way we think they will. I look back over the course of my life, and uh, not many of my plans have come to fruition. And, uh, and actually, I'm kind of glad about it. Because God's plan has been better than mine every time. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. And I've thought about that verse. Is that the Lord delighting in the way? Is that the good man delighting in the way? I think it's both. Amen? And so, thank God for his, his guidance and leadership through life. But, and I'm glad for the journey but I sure am glad for the destination, too. It is good to be saved. Well, we're back in the book of Leviticus tonight, and we're going to be back in chapter 1, and we're going to, we're going to read the same verses that we read last night. And I'm not going to preach the whole book of Leviticus. There's just no way we could do that. But we're going to try to give an overview of this book in a way that will be helpful to us um, with the Lord's help. And I'm, I'm thankful that song we sang, I have the Bible. I am thankful that I have the whole Bible. You know, not every Christian has in their possession the entire Word of God. There are believers all around this globe that uh, they just have a portion. They just have a little bit. And I can remember reading stories. Matter of fact, uh, when I went to the Philippines in uh, 2009, went over there, or 2007, went over there and we're preaching at a pastor's conference. And so all these pastors were coming down out of the mountains and uh, some of them, most of them walked there. Some of them, you know, uh, rode their bicycles. Some uh, had vehicles and came down. But many of those pastors, pastors, did not have a, a complete copy of the Bible. They're pastoring churches and, uh, and didn't have the, the, whole, the whole canon of Scripture. And uh, one of the things we did is we, we brought enough Bibles, brand new King James Bibles, leather-bound uh, King James Bibles, and we handed one to every pastor. And as they came through, and we did this on the last night, you know, kind of like a big send-off. But, you know, I got feeling guilty about it. We should have done it on day one. Um, when I found out these pastors just had portions of the Word of God, and when they came through and they, and they got their Bibles, they, 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 were, they were weeping, many of them weeping openly. And when they got their Bible, they hugged it. And they kissed it. Some of them kissed it. And, and, you know, that makes some people nervous, see somebody kissing a Bible. But it was so precious to them that they could have the Word of God, their own copy. And the thought, the thought occurred to me, Pastor, and I was convicted. They're probably living more of the Scripture than I was with less of the Scripture in their hand. And... Uh, what a treasure we've been given. If you've got a Bible, you have the greatest single material thing that God ever gave this world. 
the Word of God. And I'm thankful. It liveth. This book's alive. There's no other book like this book. It liveth and abideth forever. And so I'm thankful for the Bible. I'm even thankful for the book of Leviticus. Amen? And so we're going to look at it. And, and we're going to just dig in it and see what the Lord will help us with. We looked at last night. Uh, just kind of laying a framework, a groundwork for the book of Leviticus. And we saw that uh, God is calling Moses. He's in the tabernacle. He's calling Moses uh, to, to join him there, to meet with him there. And he outlines what he wants to do with the children of Israel in that place. He wants to meet with them. He wants to speak with them. He wants to dwell among them. He wants to sanctify them. That is to set them apart, make them holy. He wants, uh, he wants to... He wants them to know Him. That's what the tabernacle's all about. And so, and so He's calling them now. He's already called them out of Egypt, picture of salvation. Now He's calling them into the tabernacle, and we saw that this is a picture of fellowship. And we also saw that the Lord has, he has conditions to fellowship. Um, when we look at Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve walked with God in the garden. But then when Adam and Eve sinned, that fellowship was broken. And they could no longer walk with God the way that they did before. And so let's listen, from the very beginning, God's wanted to fellowship with mankind. But sin gets in the way. And stuff gets in the way. And so in these days, we've just been praying that God would help us to get the way clear between us and God so that we can have fellowship with Him. That's what He desires, and, uh, and, and so that's what we should desire. Amen? So Leviticus chapter 1, if you would, stand with me if you're able, and we'll, uh, we'll read the first nine verses as we did last night, and we're going to begin looking at these offerings. Leviticus chapter 1, <coughs> excuse me, and verse number 1. The Bible says, And the Lord called unto Moses, and spake unto him out of the tabernacle of the congregation, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, If any man of you bring an offering unto the Lord, ye shall bring your offering of the cattle, even of the herd and of the flock. And if his offering be a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish, he shall offer it of his own voluntary will at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord. And he shall put his hand upon the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. And he shall kill the bullock before the Lord. And the priests, Aaron's sons, shall bring the blood and sprinkle the blood round about upon the altar that is by the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And he shall flay the burnt offering and cut it into his pieces. And the sons of Aaron, the priest, shall put fire upon the altar and lay the wood in order upon the fire. And the priests, Aaron's sons, shall lay the parts, the head and the fat, in order upon the altar that is on the fire which is upon the altar. Or upon the wood that is on the fire which is upon the altar. Verse 9, But his inwards and his legs shall he wash in water, and the priest shall burn all on the altar to be a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire 
of a sweet savor unto the Lord. As we look at this call of God, he's calling Moses to fellowship with him. I want us to look at tonight the first aspect, if we're going to have fellowship with God, is a call to sacrifice. A call to sacrifice. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you again for your blessing upon us. Thank you, Lord, for your love. Thank you, God, for forgiveness and grace and mercy, which is found in Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, our sacrifice. And Lord, I pray that tonight that you would lead us into the truth. God, I pray that you would fill me with your precious Holy Spirit. Lord, if there's anything in my heart and mind that would, that would uh, uh, keep the word from going forth clearly, God, I pray that you, would, uh, that you would cleanse that, that you would remove that. Lord, any, anything in anyone's heart that would hinder the work of the Spirit of God, Lord, I pray that we would get that clear with you right now, that you might have liberty in this place to speak to our hearts from your word. God, as we mentioned Sunday, everyone in this building has a need. We need to meet with you. And we need you to do the work in our hearts that only you can do. And so, God, we've come before you. And, Lord, I pray that we would offer up our heart, our mind, our spirit. Lord, that you would do the work in our lives that needs to be done. We pray that Jesus Christ would be honored and glorified. We pray that no flesh would glory in your presence tonight. We pray that the Spirit of God, that we would be sensitive to his his word tonight, to his speaking and directing. Lord, I pray that the word of God would have preeminence in our minds, that the things of this world would be put from our minds and put from our hearts, that we might focus in upon your, your message to our hearts tonight. God, strengthen me in body, strengthen my voice, help me to deliver the message the way you want it delivered. Lord, we'll thank you and praise you for all of it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. In the book of Leviticus, there are five major offerings that are mentioned. And the Lord lays them out for us very cleanly. The first five chapters of Leviticus deal with the five offerings. And, uh, and the Lord uh, here, he focuses in, right out of the, out of the gate, he focuses in on sacrifice and offering. And he's telling Moses and the people of God, if you want to draw nigh to me to fellowship, there's going to have to be some sacrifices taking place. Now, <clears throat> when we look at these five uh, offerings, I want us to go over them as briefly as we can tonight, but I want us to look at them in three uh, very distinct uh, viewpoints. We need to take a threefold approach when we look at the offerings. First of all, we need to understand that they provided a way for the Israelites to make and keep a right relationship with God. So they, they were provided for the Israel, Israelites in their time, in their day, that they might have fellowship with God. But second of all, these offerings, the, the purpose of these offerings not only to show the provision that God had for, for the children of Israel, but also as a picture. These offerings picture, they are a type of Jesus Christ and a type and a description of the sacrifice that he made for us. 
And so as we study the offerings of Leviticus, we're, we're also studying the offering and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And we know that all these things in the Old Testament, they, they were written as a picture and a type and a foreshadowing of Christ. The sacrifices, the tabernacle, the priesthood, all of the, all of the offerings, all of these things were written so that we would have a better understanding and so that the Israelites would have a better understanding of Jesus and, 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 his, uh, and his ministry to them. And so these offerings, uh, we'll, we'll see, stand as a type and as a picture of the offering that Christ made for us. And then the third thing, the third approach I want us to take when we look at these offerings is to see that they are a pattern. They're not only provision for the Israelites and a picture of Christ, but they serve as a pattern for us today in our own approach to God. They say, well, what does that mean? Does that mean we have to bring these sacrifices like the Israelites did? No, no, no. They serve as a pattern. That is, they're going to show us on the principle that God does not change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the Lord God. He changeth not. So, so the way that they had to approach him in, in, the, in, in the Old Testament serves as a pattern for how we are to approach him in the New Testament. These offerings serve in this way. Now, what are the five offerings? Well, we, we read about the first one here in, in Leviticus chapter 1, the burnt offering. And I want to just give you some bullet points on these offerings. The burnt offering is the only offering that was to be totally consumed upon the altar. Okay? Uh, nothing, nothing was to be taken to eat. Uh, the priests were not to partake of this. The offerer was not to partake of this. There was no part of this, of this sacrifice, this offering, that was to, to leave that altar. Everything was to be consumed upon the altar. This uh, burnt offering is the first offering mentioned by name in the Bible. And we read about it in Genesis chapter 8, when Noah comes off of the ark, after God has spared him and his family uh, during the great flood, Noah offers a burnt offering to the Lord as a way to thank him and to praise him for preserving him. And, and, and so that's the first mention. The burnt offering is the most common of all the offerings mentioned in Scripture. Nearly 200 times you'll read specifically of the burnt offering. Now the burnt offering also, and maybe you picked up on this when we were reading the first nine verses, but the burnt offering was a voluntary offering. This was not an offering that the Lord required. It was an offering that was to be offered voluntarily. You see that in verse number 3, in the middle of the verse it says, He shall offer it of his own voluntary will. And as we mentioned, maybe last night, or yeah, I guess it was last night, we mentioned last night, many times we look at the law as something that God was just, it's all these requirements. No, much of the law, much of the, of the guidelines that God gave for them to have fellowship with him involved voluntary offerings and voluntary service. And so why? Because, again, he wanted their heart to be in it. Right? If you're forced to do something, then you're going to have to do it whether you want to or not. But God gave provision for, for some of these offerings to be brought to him 
in a voluntary way. Now, the burnt offering, when we look at the burnt offering, and we understand everything's burnt on that offering, it indicates to us total surrender. It indicates to us total commitment. And so, and so th this is the idea of the burnt offering in, in chapter 1. Now, in chapter 2, we look at the meat offering. And the meat offering might uh, get tricky to you. You say, why? Well, look at chapter 2 and verse 1. It says, when, when any will offer a meat offering unto the Lord, his offering shall be of fine flour, and he shall pour oil upon it and put frankincense thereon, and he shall bring it to Aaron's sons, the priests, and he shall take there out his handful of the flour thereof and of the oil thereof with all the frankincense thereof. And the priest shall burn the memorial of it upon the altar to be an offering made by fire of a sweet savor unto the Lord. And the remnant of the meat offering shall be Aaron's and his sons. It is a thing most holy of the offerings of the Lord made by fire. Now, in these verses that we've read, it gives a summary of what the meat offering is. Now, what is one thing that looks like it's missing from the meat offering? Meat, right? Meat. When we, when we think of meat today, we think of flesh. But the Bible word meat does not mean flesh. It means something you eat. And so this meat offering, uh, it, it does not include any flesh. It does not include any animals. It's a, it's a, it's a grain offering. You've got flour and you've got oil, and you've got frankincense, and the offering, it, offer it to God. This is the only offering made without the shedding of blood and without an animal sacrifice. The meat offering, it's a little bit harder to see, but it's also in this uh, text that we read, it is a free will offering. It says in verse 1, and when any will offer a meat offering unto the Lord. So this is also a free will offering. It's a voluntary offering. And uh, I, I did not make mention, but uh, both the meat offering and the burnt offering are a sweet savor to the Lord. We read that in both of these texts. In verse number 2 of chapter 2, it calls the meat offering a sweet savor. And, uh, and then Leviticus uh, 1 and verse 9 calls the burnt offering a sweet savor. And where the burnt offering indicates entire surrender, complete surrender uh, and commitment, uh, the meat offering indicates a living sacrifice. It's a sacrifice that does not include death. Okay? And so, please stay with me because we're laying a foundation. We'll get to the message soon. The third offering in Leviticus chapter 3 is the peace offering. And the peace offering, we read in verse 1 of chapter 3, and if his oblation be a sacrifice of peace offering... If he offer it of the herd, whether it be a male or female, he shall offer it without blemish before the Lord. He shall lay his hand upon the head of his offering and kill it at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And Aaron's sons, the priests, shall sprinkle the blood upon the altar round about. And he shall offer the sacrifice of the peace offering, an offering made by fire unto the Lord. The fat that covereth the inwards and all the fat that is upon the inwards and the two kidneys and the fat that is on them, which is by the flanks and the call above the liver, with the kidneys, it shall he take away. And Aaron's son shall burn it on the altar 
upon the burnt sacrifice which is upon the wood that is on the fire. It is an offering made by fire of a sweet savor unto the Lord. The peace offering was also a voluntary offering. It was also a sweet savor offering. It was the only offering in which the offerer, the one who brought the, the sacrifice, could partake of the sacrifice. And we read more about that in Leviticus chapter 7. So in this, in this particular sacrifice, the offerer brings, and it looks, by, by, by what I've seen and what I've studied, it looks like the one who brings the offering is to slay the offering. He's to kill it, then he's to give it to Aaron and Aaron's sons, the priests, and they're to take out a part for themselves. In chapter 7, it tells us that uh, one breast and, and one, uh, uh, what, what was the other part? I'm trying to remember the other part that he takes there. Another part of the offering, the portion of the offering would belong, the shoulder uh, would belong to the uh, shoulder and a breast would belong to the priest. And so the priest had a part. And then a part of it went on the altar, but then a part of it, the offerer who brought it would take home and he would partake of that offering. And so in, in, the, in, the, in the burnt offering, everything gets burned up on the altar. In the meat offering, there's a portion that's taken out for Aaron and his sons for their sustaining, and the rest is burned on the altar. Well, in the peace offering, you've got Aaron and his sons taking some, you've got some being burned on the altar, and some the offerer partakes of. And this is very interesting. You say, why, does this, why did the Lord set this up with a peace offering? Well, the peace offering indicates fellowship, that everyone has a part in this offering that's taking place. There's a part for the priest, there's a part for God, there's a part for the people. And the peace offering indicates fellowship and communion. Uh, we, as New Testament churches, we practice uh, uh, partaking of communion, the Lord's table, where we, we eat the bread and we remember the body the, that Christ offered to the Lord. It was broken for us. And then we, we drink the cup, and, and that cup reminds us of the blood that Christ shed for us, and it serves as a reminder of the sacrifice that Christ made for us. And everybody that's a child of God can partake of it. This harkens back to this peace offering. That now, where before we could not have communion with God, now we can have communion with God. That God is not a God who is afar off. He's a God who is near. And he'll sit down and sup with us. Seems like I read something about that in the New Testament. Amen? And so that's what the peace offering points to. I'm getting ahead of myself. But that, that, that's the peace offering. Now look at chapter 4 and look at verse 1. The Bible says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speaking of the children of Israel, saying, if a soul shall sin through ignorance against any of the commandments of the Lord concerning things which ought not to be done, and shall do against any of them, if the priest that is anointed do sin according to the sin of the people, then let him bring for his sin which he hath sinned, a young bullock, without blemish unto the Lord, for a sin offering. And he shall bring the bullock unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord, 
shall lay his hand upon the bullock's head and kill the bullock before the Lord. And the priest that is anointed shall take of the bullock's blood and bring it to the tabernacle of the congregation. And the priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle of the blood seven times before the Lord, before the veil of the sanctuary. And the priest shall put some of the blood upon the horns of the altar of sweet incense before the Lord, which is in the tabernacle of the congregation, and shall pour all the blood of the bullock at the bottom of the altar of the burnt offering, which is at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And he shall take off from it all the fat of the bullock for the sin offering, the fat that covereth the inwards, and all the fat that is upon the inwards, the two kidneys, and the fat that is upon them, which is by the flanks, and the call above the liver with the kidneys, it shall he take away." as it was taken off from the bullock of the sacrifice of peace offerings, and the, peace, and the priest shall burn them upon the altar of the burnt offering. It goes on down describing some more concerning the sin offering. But from the sin offering, I want us to understand that this is the first offering that is a required offering. This is not a voluntary offering. And you say, why is that? Because it's offered in response to sin. This is not a communion offering. This is a necessary offering. If they want to keep uh, in good standing with God, they have to get this sin offering, they have to bring it. And blood has to be shed, it's required. Now, this is not a sweet savor offering. And uh, the sin offering, where the, where the burnt offering deals with entire and total commitment. The meat offering deals with a living sacrifice. The peace offering deals with fellowship and communion. The sin offering uh, indicates payment for the sin nature. Notice that in verse 2, it says, speaking of the children of Israel, saying, if a soul shall sin through ignorance. So that is something where you're sinning because you're a sinner. And so this, this sin offering, and we're going to deal with this a little bit more later on, but this sin offering deals with the sin nature. Now the trespass offering, which is in chapter 5, look at that with me if you will, and we'll wrap up our introduction to the offerings here. The trespass offering is also mentioned in chapter 5. It says, And if a soul sin, and hear the voice of swearing, and is a witness whether he hath seen or known of it, if he do not utter it, then he shall bear his iniquity. Or if a soul touch any unclean thing, whether it be a carcass of an unclean beast or a carcass of unclean cattle or the carcass of unclean creeping things, and if it be hidden from him, he also shall be unclean and guilty. Or if he touch the uncleanness of man, whatsoever uncleanness it be that a man shall be defiled withal, and it be hid from him, when he knoweth of it, then he shall be guilty." Or if a soul swear, pronouncing with his lips to do evil or do good, whatsoever it be that a man shall pronounce with an oath, and it be hid from him, when he knoweth of it, then he shall be guilty in one of these. And it shall be, when he shall be guilty in one of these things, that he shall confess that he hath sinned in that thing. Notice that phrase. He hath sinned in that thing. And he shall bring his trespass offering unto the Lord, for his sin, which he hath sinned. And then it describes the trespass offering. So this trespass offering was 
like the sin offering, it was a required offering. That is, it was in response to a particular sin that had been committed. Remember that phrase, in the thing that he hath sinned. Uh, that, th- that, uh, that, he, that he hath sinned in that thing. That's the phrase that's given to us that's key for us to understand that the trespass offering, the trespass offering, where the sin offering deals with the sin nature, the trespass offering deals with the individual sins and crimes that man's committed against God. Now this brings up a question, and it's one of these questions that seems to be a topic of debate among Bible believers. And that is, is man, is man sinners by nature or sinners by choice? Well, the answer to that question is yes. Yes. We are sinners by nature. It's by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin because death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. So uh, Job said, well, I came out of the grave, or out of the, out of the womb, speaking lies. And, and so we, we understand that we have a sin nature. We are bent to sinning. Um, we, have, we have 11 children. I never had to teach one of them to do wrong. Any of you have to teach your children to do wrong? No, it's in them. It's in them to do wrong. They lie as little ones. That precious little one that you have, Brother Andrew. Lying already. Now you say, oh, that's mean, that's harsh. That's just true. Amen. You did too when you were a little one. I did too. And so... And so we have a sin nature, but also each one of us have chosen our own way. We've all gone astray. And we have have consciously chosen sin over righteousness. And so there's really no debate. You know, man, are we sinners by nature or sinners by choice? There's no debate. That's strike one and strike two. Amen? And so... The Lord gives us two offerings dealing not only with the sin nature of man, but also individual sins. The trespass offering is required. It's not a sweet savor offering. It indicates forgiveness of committed sins. So this gives us an understanding of these five offerings and, and kind of gives us an understanding of the nation of Israel and how they, how they approach God. But I also want us to look tonight not only on the provision that God had given the nation of Israel, but I want us to look at the picture that these offerings give us of Christ. And the order of the five offerings, they mark a progression of closeness to God. With the first offering, look at this, notice this, the first offering mentioned being the closest to God and the last one being uh, the, really the first step in approaching God. 
And you say, well, why, why does the Lord lay it out like that? You know, it seems like it's backwards. Well, the Bible is written not from man's standpoint, but from God's standpoint. And so many times in the Scripture, you're going to find things uh, uh, listed from God's viewpoint and not from man's. Uh, for instance, we talk about how man is three parts. And usually, until we get it corrected by, by the Bible, we say it this way. Man's three parts are body, soul, and spirit. That's the way we say it. You know why? Because that's our viewpoint. Our viewpoint is body first because that's what we see. Soul and spirit. But the Lord lists it in the reverse. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, he says, And I pray God, your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless under the coming of the Lord. So the Lord looks at things backwards when we, for us, backwards to us. When we, when we look at the tabernacle and the Lord gives all the instructions regarding the tabernacle, he's, we, we know there's three parts of the tabernacle. There's the outer court, there's the holy place, and then there's the most holy place. And when man comes into the tabernacle, he first has to go into the outer court, through the outer court, then into the holy place, and then the high priest once a year could go into the most holy place. But when God lists the tabernacle, he starts in the most holy place. And when he lists the, the furniture of the tabernacle, that's where he starts. He starts at the ark and the mercy seat, and he works his way out. And so when we look at these offerings, we say, well, then these, uh, if, if we approach God from, from offering five to one, and if closeness to God is from one to five, how come we're starting at, at one? Well, it's, it's God's viewpoint. And so when we consider these offerings, I want us to look at these offerings when we look at, the, at, at Christ. And listen, that's who it's all about. That, and not, I'm not just talking about the offerings. I'm not just talking about the tabernacle. I'm not talking just about Israel. I'm talking about mankind. I'm talking about all of creation. It is all about Jesus. And so when you look at these offerings, you see Jesus in them. We see, first of all, the burnt offering. And we understand that Christ surrendered himself entirely to God. He held nothing back. He offered up himself as a burnt offering to God for us on our behalf. He gave his all for us. And uh, we understand that Christ was not forced. He was not forced to the cross. When, when we look at the Garden of, uh, of Gethsemane, and we read the story of the Garden of Gethsemane, we need to understand the struggle that's going on in the heart of Christ. He is praying, and he's praying, Lord, if it be possible, these are his words, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. That is the will of Jesus. That's what he would like in this situation. And yet, he says in the same prayer, in the same sentence, Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. 
Not my will be done, but thy will be done. What is he doing? He is offering himself totally committed to the will of God in his life. And he does so as a sacrifice. Now listen, we're talking about, we're talking about fellowship. And in order to have fellowship, there has to be sacrifice. Please, please don't miss this. If Christ had not sacrificed himself to God, we could never have fellowship with God. And Christ himself would have broken fellowship with his Father. You say, boy, I don't know if I can understand that. I don't know that I understand it totally and completely, but I do know what the Bible says. And you've got the will of Jesus, let this cup pass from me, and the will of the Father is, you've got to drink that cup. And Jesus, he does not wait for God to change his will. He just does the will of God, whether he wants to or not. Amen. Know what that is? That's committing yourself to another. And that's what the Lord did. He committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. He gave his all on the altar. As a burnt offering, we see Christ surrendering himself to the Lord completely. He held nothing back. And then in the meat offering, we see Christ giving himself as a living sacrifice. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, I mean this. Christ, the Bible says, he went about doing good. He did always those things that pleased the Father. And he lived his life day by day, fulfilling the will of God, living a life of sacrifice. It's one thing to give your life in a moment to offer your life in a moment to save someone else. Many have done that, and it's a noble thing to do. We have freedom in America because many men and women have, done, have made that choice. They have given their life so that we could, we could be free in a moment of time. Let me tell you something. To me... It's even a greater sacrifice to live your life every day. Until that moment when this life ends, you live every day a living sacrifice, living according to the will of God. That's what Jesus did. What an example. You know, the, the, the scripture in Ephesians 5 talking about husbands and wives and uh, and how the, the husband ought to lay down his life for his wife. I heard a preacher a long time ago say this. He said, you know, what is life made up of? Time. How do you lay down your life for your wife? You give her your time. You live your life in sacrifice for her. 
and, and listen, and vice versa. And that's what Christ did for us. That meat offering. He did the will of God. He lived his life in the will of God, and so therefore he lived his life in fellowship with God. Now, the third thing, the peace offering. We like this point. When we think about Christ making peace, he made peace with God on our behalf. See, the fact of the matter is, we were at enmity with God. God is holy, man is unholy. God has a law, man has broken that law. And Christ came and he made peace with God for us. He is the great mediator between God and man. And God is here and man is here and man couldn't reach God and God wouldn't reach man and so Christ came and he took hold of the hand of God and he took hold of the hand of man and he reconciled us to God. How did he do that? It took sacrifice. He had to give his life. He had to offer his life for us. And just in that peace offering, as God got apart, and the priest got apart, and the people got apart, that's exactly what happened when Christ died. He offered himself to God, he died for Israel, and he died for the Gentiles. Praise God. We didn't deserve to have part of that offering. Boy, we didn't deserve to partake of that. I can imagine in my mind thinking about those people bringing that sacrifice for that peace offering. I want to have peace with God. And this is all I've got to offer. And I know I can't just offer me because I can't cut it. So I've got to bring this thing here in my place and I don't even deserve to partake of it the priest would take that offering after he's after the offerer has killed it the priest would take that offering cut out some parts for the Lord cut out some parts for him he say hey you can partake of this too oh I'm not, I'm not worthy to partake of this I don't deserve to partake of this I'm the whole reason why this had to happen. I'm the reason why the, the, the animal had to be slain. I don't deserve to partake of this. I don't deserve to feed myself and feed my family and live off this when they have to die in my place. And I can hear the priest saying, hey, that's just the way God made it. He set it up this way so that you could partake of this even though you don't deserve it. You know what he's showing us? He's showing us the Lord saying, listen, I was angry with you, but I'm not anymore. Why? Because of something we've done? No, it's just the fact that we were able to partake of that offering of Christ. Christ died in our place so that we could have peace with God. Ephesians 2 outlines the peace that we have with Christ. Because He made the way, we are brought nigh by the blood of Christ. And then in the sin offering, we see that Christ atoned for our fallen sin nature 
on the cross. He satisfied the wrath of God, we see in Isaiah 53 and Hebrews chapter 9. Christ died for the sins of the whole world, and we're thankful. We see that in the trespass offering that Christ paid for every sin that's ever been committed. Every sin that's ever been committed, Christ died for every infraction against the law of God. And I'm thankful for that. But you know what? If he hadn't died in the sin offering way as well, then we'd still be in a mess. Because even though all these sins have been paid for, if the heart hasn't been transformed, we're just going to go right back to that. And so the salvation, the offering, the sacrifice that Christ offers was sufficient not only to pay for every sin that's ever been committed, but it was sufficient to change every heart that comes to Him by faith. I'm thankful for the new nature. Amen. Now, you, you get around in churches today that don't believe the Bible, and you would think that Christ delivered us so that we could keep living according to the old nature. That doesn't make any sense. I was living that way already. I didn't need any deliverance to live that way. I needed deliverance from that way. And Christ, he, he paid for all those sins, but also He did something on the inside that no one else could do. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Is. I like that word. Is. Not will be. Is becoming. No, no, just read the Bible and take it for what it is. He is a new creature. What does that mean? Does that mean we stop sinning? No, that means we've got a new nature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. See, that old nature, all it does is sin. All it does is want the, to fulfill the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. That's all that's in the world and that's all that the old nature wants and loves. But when we get saved and we're created a new nature after Christ Jesus, all that nature wants to do is please God. And that, that nature delights after the law of God in the inward man. He reads the law and he says, boy, that's good. I can see exactly how God was wanting to bless my life through that law. The old man reads the law and says, oh, that's terrible. God's trying to ruin my life. He's trying to wreck my life. But the new man has the understanding, God rescued my life. He saved me. I'm not just saved on my way to heaven. I'm saved down here too. <laughs> Amen. Now, this is the order that we see the offering of Christ, but let me give you this briefly before we close. The order that the sinner comes to Christ is in the opposite way. Where we see Christ beginning at the burnt offering, and then the meat offering, and the peace offering, and the sin offering, and the trespass offering, we see that when a sinner comes to God, he comes to an God in the reverse order. Say, what do you mean? Well, 
The trespass offering deals with individual sins. And when the Spirit of God begins dealing with the heart of a sinner, you know where he starts? He starts with those individual things that we've all done wrong. That's where he starts. And he makes the sinner understand that those things that you have committed and those things that you have done, those things that you have thought, those things that you have said, they are an offense to a holy God. And they require blood. Remember that trespass offering and that sin offering, they're required offerings. They're not voluntary. They're required. That is, if you want to get to God, you have to partake of those two. When the Lord, and we understand it's one sacrifice, but it's, it's, it's manifested in these two ways, in these five ways, really. But when the Lord begins dealing with the sinner, he deals with individual sins. But he does not stop there. Because the sinner realizes, I do all these bad things, and even though I try to stop them, I just keep going back to them. Why is that? Then he comes to the realization that he needs a change of heart. He needs a change on the inside. And so God starts dealing with man about his sinful, fallen nature. And he says, listen, I'll pay for those sins, but I've got something even better in store for you. I'll give you a new heart. Required. In the trespass and the sin offering, we see the sinner coming to Christ in salvation. You realize you're a sinner? You've sinned and you are a sinner and you need Christ. And so the sinner comes to the Lord. And these, these are required offerings. Now then, after this, as a believer, he realizes that now we have peace with God. The war is over. And this salvation that spared us from death and hell has so much more in store than just getting us to heaven. There's so much more to the Christian life than not going to hell. And we start understanding this God that loved us and saved us, He didn't just save us and leave us. He brought us out of Egypt and He's bringing us into a relationship with Him. He wants us to partake. Not just to recognize Christ, but to partake in fellowship with Christ. This is the peace offering. We see this, 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 we see the heart of God. We see God drawing man. He said, I want you by my side. I want you to know me. I want you to know my voice. I want you to walk with me. I want you to enjoy my presence. I want you to partake with me. And so he gets in this, this, uh, this peace offering. Now notice, we have moved from requirement to voluntary. We've moved from requirement. If you're, listen, if you're going to go to heaven, you've got to trust Christ as your Lord and Savior. You've got to accept the sacrifice that he made for you. You've got to come face to face with your sin and realize that Christ died for our sins. 
That's required. But everything else from that point is voluntary. It's voluntary. Now listen, we wonder why we don't have revival. Most of us are satisfied over here. We're going to heaven. Good enough for me, preacher. Good enough for me. Now, I'm going to wrap it up here because I've been going kind of long. i got more to say, but I think I'm about done. We would say, politically, economically, we don't have much good to say about the welfare system in our nation. Okay, maybe I'm the only one opposed to it. I don't know. You know what we don't like? We don't like giving our money, our hard-earned money, to those who will not work. Now, we don't mind giving it to those who cannot work. But don't steal my hard-earned dollars to give it to someone who's too lazy to do anything with what the, the, the blessings they've been given. Boy, praise God, we'll stand on that. Well, how about when it comes to the Christian life? Come on, you know what, you know what living over here is? It's being a welfare Christian. Praise God, I'm not going to hell. I'll shout on that till Jesus comes. I'll shout with you. But I don't want to just stay here. I don't want to just suck it in like a big old fat sponge. I want to do something for the one who gave me everything. We get over in this voluntary and the crowd really thins, preacher. It really thins. It really, it really weeds out a lot of folks. Well, I don't have to give to missions. No, you don't have to. I don't have to tithe. No, you don't. I don't have to go to Wednesday night church and be saved. No, you don't. You have Wednesday or Thursday? Wednesday, okay. I don't, I don't have to witness. I don't have to read my Bible. I can go to, saved, uh, go, go to heaven and be saved and not do all those things. Yeah, you can. But you're a Christian bum. And I'm fed up. I'm fed up with Laodicea. We're eating up with it. As long as we got what we want, we're all fat and sassy and we're happy. But listen, don't you think the one who gave his only begotten son deserves a little bit more than that? The love of God ought to draw us, constrain us. Amen? And listen, even for your own good. For your own good. Get over here where the voluntary offerings kick in. Why? Because that's where the fellowship really starts. The peace offering, the meat offering, a living sacrifice. I think the, the New Testament says something about that, doesn't it? I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. What more do we need to be beseeched by? The mercies of God. 
We, we are loaded with the mercies of God. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. You know what the Lord wants? Just live for Him every day. It's no more than what Christ did. And then that burnt offering. Just give it all to God. You know, you know what you're going to find? As you, as you move from one stage to the next in your relationship with God, you're going to find that every step gets sweeter. Every step gets fuller. Every step gets richer. And over here, you're like, I'm not going to hell. Praise God. But over here, this is where the light is. This is where the joy is. This is where the communion is. Just put it all on the altar. You know, there's a wonderful thing about just total submission to the will of God. You know, when you submit to God's will, all of a sudden you don't have to worry anymore. You don't have to worry about, well, what am I going to do? What am, no, it's what is God going to do? It's not my life. It's His. I've laid it on the altar. It's going to be exciting what God does. Now, I'll give you one more thing and I'll quit. Those voluntary offerings. Remember, these three over here, the burnt, the meat, the peace, they all had something in common. And these ones had something in common. The, the sin and the trespass. These were required. These were voluntary. You know what else they had in common? These were a sweet-smelling savor to God. These ones weren't. Necessary? Absolutely. But not a sweet-smelling savor. When you get into the, into the arena of voluntary sacrifice to God, that's where it gets sweet. That's where the Lord... Listen, they laid that that peace offering and that meat offering and that burnt offering on the altar and the Lord's up in heaven and the Lord's oh that's sweet now listen we don't like that altar because that altar burns and it hurts and it brings pain it's sacrifice. But the best relationships in your life are the ones that you give all in. And you don't hold anything back. And the Lord's puts a smile on my face. Now why did it make the Lord happy? Those offerings? Remember, it wasn't the sacrifices. It was the heart that offered them. And the Lord 
when he sees a believer trying their best, and listen, nobody bats a thousand, but you're trying your best of your own will. You're wanting to serve God, and you're wanting to just make your life a living sacrifice and committed to God. You know why it makes him so happy? Because that's what his son did. That's what Jesus did. You're, you, listen, you're never more like Christ than when your all is on the altar. What, why, what's holding you back? What's so important that you can't give your all to God? What's in the way? One day, we're going to look back and we're going to say, why did I live for that? When I had the greatest treasure and the greatest reason to live in Christ. Let's stand together. Heavenly Father, thank you God for the truth. Thank you God for your Son. And Lord, I pray with the help of the Holy Spirit and the guidance of the Word of God, we'd humble ourselves before you and just lay it all on the altar. We'd understand what a privilege we have to be able to be in communion with you. And Lord, we are thankful for salvation. And though we could never repay you, Lord, there's something inside. Lord, I want to be a blessing to you. I want to put a smile on your face. I want my life to be a sweet-smelling savor in your nostrils. Lord, help us. In Jesus' name I pray.